0: and welcome to another episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. I'm the titular Sean.
1: And I'm the very titular Carrie.
0: And this is the show that takes you inside the unbelievable, the ooky, the spooky, the macabre, and the bizarre, and tries to find an answer. Caroline, this week, I think this goes more on the bizarre side than anything else, but there's there's a kind of personal horror to this story as well, Uh, and I think you'll see what I'm talking about. Oh, Um,
1: even more than true crime, huh?
0: It is definitely a true crime story. I was just trying to link it to one of those <laughs> words I just said. Uh, this is the story of Patty Hearst. Mm. The heiress turned um, left-wing radical <laughs> and bank robber.
1: Yeah. Turned back, question mark?
0: Um Question mark. We can question mark all of the turns, all the heel and face turns mm-hmm. in, in Patricia's story. Um, she does prefer to be called Patricia, although I will slip and I'm sure I'll be calling her Patty the whole time because that's what uh, we call her, right?
1: Yes. In this household, we're a Patty household.
0: Well, that's what the media called her and uh, <laughs> it's just got a snap to it, that name Patty Hearst. Mm-hmm. Patty Hearst was a publishing heiress who was kidnapped in 1974 by a group calling itself the Symbionese Liberation Army. Oh. Uh, Hurst herself was captured 19 months later, by which time she was a fugitive from justice, wanted for violent crimes she had committed with the very group that had kidnapped her.
1: Mm, Something changed.
0: Something snapped for Patty, didn't it? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, we'll see. Patty Hurst was the granddaughter of William Randolph Hurst the newspaper publisher and politician who uh, created what was at the time the world's largest film, newspaper, and media company, uh, and for promoting sensationalistic yellow journalism that um, arguably is still ruining news to this day.
1: Yeah, he was the inspiration for Citizen Kane, um, the main guy in that. <laughs> I forget his name, but it was played by Orson Welles. And uh, Charles Foster Kane. Charles Foster Kane. I knew it was Kane. Um yeah, he wasn't a super great guy, but he was very rich. He was basically one of those guys that you could really call a tycoon.
0: Yes. And in this era, I think he sort of presaged or uh, maybe was a harbinger of this era now of everything getting snapped up by the biggest uh, companies were like Disney owns. The Rupert Murdoch's of the world. Everything and News Corp owns everything. Exactly. Mm hmm. Now, Hearst Communications isn't, I don't think, as big as those giants these days, but it is still a very large company that owns chunk of A&E and ESPN and many, many, many magazines and local papers uh, around the country. Actually, any, pretty much any newspaper you read in Connecticut, um, like local state papers. They're no, they're all they're all Hearst. They're all Hearst. The Connecticut Post, the Greenwich Times, the Stanford Advocate. Interesting. Suffice it to say, Patty was comfortable yeah she was what you would call an heiress uh, her father worked in the company um i believe at this time he might have been like the chairman of the board he was never able to be he's ce- frank sinatra yes yeah <laughs> he was never able to be the ceo because he had an older brother
1: mm. and um, it, it's like a royal title with these guys yeah i think sort of
0: but patty was very comfortable and her family was very comfortable and um, if she didn't want to, she probably wasn't going to have to work a day in her life.
1: How old was she at this time?
0: Uh, at the time of her kidnapping, she was 19 years old.
1: All right. Still a teenager.
0: Yes. Uh, the family was also associated with uh, political action, as family moneyed <laughs> families often are. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh,
0: and they especially backed anti-communist and pro-business uh, policies, as you would huh. imagine.
1: Unexpected.
0: Yeah. I don't know why they would do such a thing. <laughs> Uh, Patty herself was born February 20th, 1954. She was the third of five daughters to Randolph Apperson Hurst and Catherine Wood Campbell.
1: Apperson. Mm Mm-hmm. Interesting. And
0: I believe uh, Randolph Hurst, well, again, not able to be the big wig at the company. I believe he was the chairman of the board there at the time of her kidnapping.
1: He was a medium wig.
0: Yes. Now, Patty attended all girls' private schools. Um, before heading to Menlo College in Atherton, California, and then she transferred to UC Berkeley. And in 1974, she was a sophomore studying art history and living with her new fiancé, Stephen Weed.
1: (laughs) just a great name to have at UC Berkeley in the 70s. (laughs) Absolutely it was. Uh,
0: Her parents didn't assign her a security detail or anything like that, because... Her dad wasn't, like, that important, and he didn't have access to the whole company's funds or anything like that, so they they figured it was, you know, fine.
1: Yeah, she's, you know, her dad was the the Prince Harry of the world, and we all know that they didn't give little Archie his own details, so. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway.
0: They probably were wishing for a security detail on February 4th, 1974, when the 19-year-old Patty was snatched from her Berkeley apartment, her fiancé was home at the time, Um, and a group called the Symbionese Liberation Army claimed credit for the kidnapping. So who, Caroline, are the Symbionese Liberation Army? And where, what are Symbionese people? Where is Symbionia?
1: (laughs) Yeah, uh... Yeah, I, I genuinely have no clue. The only thing I ever have thought of in relation to like reading that name is like Die diehard. You know, it's our like...
0: brothers in the Symbionese <laughs> Liberation Army.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it seems like one of those vague sort of things. Um, yeah. Who are they, Sean? The Symbionese
0: Liberation Army was formed in 1973. So just a year before mm-hmm. uh, by Donald DeFreeze and Patricia Michelle Salty Sick. Okay. Or Soltysik, maybe. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not good with a Polish name. <laughs> um, which is fine, because at this point, these two, everyone in this gang kind of took on fun names.
2: Oh, it's
1: like Marilyn Manson's band.
0: So da- Donald DeFreeze called himself General Field Marshal Sank.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: And missed, Miss Soltysik <laughs> uh, had changed her name to Ms. Moon. Well, certainly less of a mouthful. One word, M-I-Z-M-O-O-N. Oh. This all started when DeFreeze, a.k.a. Sink, was serving five to life in Soledad Prison for robbing a prostitute, because he's a nice guy.
1: No, DeFreeze became DeFoe.
0: He escaped prison on March 5th, 1973 uh, by just walking away. All right. You see, he was on work duty uh, on a boiler room outside of the perimeter fence. Guys, maybe just hire janitors to take care of that part. Yeah. Don't send prisoners outside of the fence. No. By this time, he was already going by sink after the name of the leader of the slave revolt that took over the Amistad ship.
1: Is he a black fella? Yes. Okay. Uh, Because I was going to say, that's not great if you're white. Yes,
0: DeFries actually was the only black member of the Symbionese Liberation Army. Gotcha. So obviously he had some kind of eyes toward social justice or racial justice, um, or that was the image he wanted to build up. However, he has been accused by some of informing on community organizers to the LAPD between 1967 and 69. Oh dear. So maybe Sync was only out for himself. It's hard to say, and obviously lots of people have lots of things to say about him. What's not disputed is while in prison, Sync had made ties with an organization called Vensoremos. Oh. Now, Vensoremos was a left-wing extremist political organization that was uh, sprouting up in uh, California kind of academic radical societies.
1: Does it have Latin roots?
0: Um, sp- spanish mexican Mm -hmm. roots i think it came from like labor groups gotcha and so they were dedicated to community control of the police and uh, prison reform you can see why sink would be interested in that having just gotten out of uh soledad prison doesn't sound like his (laughs) conditions were too brutal they let him take a walk and he just left but
1: but he was put there by police so
0: yes that's true (laughs) Uh, now, this organization, Venceremos, had been dedicated to peaceful action um, ish until 1971, when new leadership had taken over and made things a little bit more militant and a lot more Maoist. Oh, and that's always fun. Yeah. So they had kind of a Maoist communist bent now, and their stated goal was the overthrow of the American government. Okay. They weren't like a military organization. They didn't have guns and stuff. They were just a political group dedicated to Maybe the like eventual...
1: ideological overthrow.
0: Yes, like eventually we're going to overthrow the government. Let's sing songs till we get there. <laughs> a Willie Wolfe and a Russell Little, uh, who currently were members of Vince Ramos and later would be members of the Symbionese Liberation Army, found Sank a place to stay... When he got out of... When he escaped prison. Mm. Um, with their friend, Patricia Michelle Soltysik.
1: Ms. Moon. Yes.
0: And this is when the nicknames came in as the two started living together, laying low, talking radical politics, uh, got some urban guerrilla revolutionary ideas in their head, and became lovers. Oh. And so they grabbed Willie Wolf, Russell Little, a few other true believers... And the first action of the Symbionese Liberation Army would take place on November 6th, 1973, when two members of the group killed Oakland School Superintendent Marcus Foster uh, and badly wounded his deputy, Robert Blackburn. Oh. See, Foster was shot eight times with hollow-point bullets that had been packed with cyanide. Oh, God. So you you take your hollow-points, which already do a lot more damage inside a person's body.
1: Insult to injury.
0: But you fill that with poison. Um, So he died. Yeah. Um, Blackburn was shot at close range with a shotgun and uh, managed to survive, although not without some lingering injuries, obviously.
1: Why'd they target him?
0: Well, it's very curious. Foster was actually the first black superintendent in the history of Oakland, Um, but this group objected to his plan to institute student ID cards. They said that made him a fascist and he had to go okay really interesting if you look further into it it seems like marcus foster was actually against having student id cards because he didn't like going in that direction but this was like the watered down version he had fought the board to get to huh. so they're really killing the wrong guy here yeah, yeah. joseph ramiro and russell little two of the gang's members were convicted of those murders um but those sent those sentences were disputed and littles was later overturned in 1981 and he was found innocent on a retrial. Uh, he says it was Ms. Moon who killed Marcus Foster. Shot, shot him. Shot him eight times. And it was Sank who shot Blackburn with the shotgun after uh, another member, Nancy Ling Perry, couldn't pull the trigger.
2: Hmm.
1: They got the wrong guy.
0: But it sounds like they rolled up with like five people to do this job.
1: Yeah, not very subtle. Not
0: very subtle. And that's why two of them were in jail now. (laughs) With Ramiro and Little arrested, what's what's a brand new militant organization to do?
1: Try and find some more members?
0: Well, nope. They decided they needed these guys back. So the best way to do that. What's the best way to do that?
1: Break them out of prison?
0: No, we're going to kidnap an important figure so we can negotiate their release. Uh-huh. Now, also in November 1973, the San Francisco Chronicle, a Hearst paper, by the way, <laughs> their society pages announced uh, the betrothal of Patricia Hearst and Stephen Weed and listed the couple's address at apartment 4, 2603 no, Benvenu Avenue. Don't do that. Not great. And that gets us back up to speed at February 4th, 1974, when Angela Atwood, Donald DeFreeze, and William Harris did the deed. Came into the apartment, grabbed Patricia, took her with them.
1: Presumably at gunpoint and all that fun stuff?
0: Uh, Yeah, threw a bag over her head, they had guns, and uh, out we go. Now, in their initial communications and notes, the SLA claimed Patty was being held according to Geneva Convention rules, (laughs) and they issued an ultimatum to the Hearst family. Release Ramiro and Little and get your daughter back. Otherwise, she dies.
1: Putting a lot of confidence in this family to be able to take people out of prison? I mean, they're rich, but...
0: Right. Well, they were told almost immediately, we have no power to do that. Yeah. And so they said, okay, shit, what do we do now? All right. Uh, okay. They asked for ransom in the form of food distribution for the poor. Okay. And their initial demand was $4 million worth of food. And then the SLA um, bigwigs, these are real geniuses, these guys. <laughs> bigwigs, um,
1: Donald DeVries. D-
0: they started chatting and, and they did some back of the napkin math and decided that what they wanted was $70 worth of food for every needy Californian. And the bill on that came out to like four hundred million dollars. So, the, so oh,
1: no. they said we need. That's that's more of a, a thing on on the government than it is on anyone else. Four hundred million Yikes. in
0: food distribution, please. While they were doing these negotiations, Patty says she was not being held according to Geneva Convention rules.
1: Where did they take her?
0: Uh, to one of their safe houses.
1: Was it not very safe?
0: Um. I'm sure the safe house was fine. They were hanging out with, like, student radicals in the area. Mm -hmm. But Patty was confined to a closet too small to lie down in for weeks. Her hands were tied, and a blindfold was left on her face for the entire first week, according to her account. After that, she was released for meals, um, but always blindfolded when she wasn't in her closet. Geez. After some time, like a couple of weeks, they started leaving a flashlight inside the closet with her and some Symbionese Liberation Army official political tracts for her to read. Ah, some pamphlets. A couple of pamphlets. Meanwhile, every now and then, DeFreeze would come back to the door, bang on it, open it up, and threaten to kill her.
1: Mm. So, that's 12 o'clock, lunch. 1 o'clock, be threatened with death. 2 o'clock, Nap. That's right.
0: Meanwhile, the Hearst family had actually taken out a $2 million loan and started distributing food uh, all over the San Francisco area. Okay. They were calling this uh, Operation People in Need. And um, it started okay, and they were starting to give out food, but then I think on the first day they were doing it, violence erupted at one of the four planned distribution points because the crowds were way bigger than they were expecting
2: well it
1: was supposed to be 400 million
0: and so people were actually injured as panicked workers were chucking just boxes of food off of moving trucks as they as they tried to get away
1: oh god it's like covid times when they were throwing toilet paper at people
0: uh i think are you you thinking of donald trump in uh puerto rico when he was throwing the uh
1: oh that was puerto rico i'm trying to repress a lot (laughs)
0: the SLA further demanded that the Western Edition Project Area Committee be put in charge of food distribution. This is like a neighborhood council. Mm -hmm. They were like, you're not doing this right. You stop. Give it to them. Um, Now, during all these negotiations, there was some heady ideology being thrown around by the group. Um, Angela Atwood supposedly said on the phone, interestingly, these conversations were recorded, And apparently Angela Atwood, who's a white woman, Mm -hmm. audibly puts on, like, a black voice.
1: Ugh. Not great, Angela.
0: And she goes, the dream, and indeed it is a dream of, of many on the left, is that the enemy corporate state will willingly give the stolen riches of the earth back to the people, and that this will be accomplished through compromising talk and empty words. To this, our bullets scream loudly. The enemy's bloodthirsty greed will be destroyed by the growing spirit of the people and their thirst for freedom. We call upon the people to judge for themselves whether our tactics of waging struggle are correct or incorrect in fighting the enemy by any means necessary.
1: Okay. Just
0: to give you a little look at their views. It's funny. It's hard to find any real ideology. (laughs) It's very convoluted. Like a general communist worker ownership of uh, means of production kind of thing. Mm Mm-hmm but it doesn't seem to have been too much of a plan on how to get there because killing the superintendent isn't moving the ball. No. In any case, their negotiations got something done because 100,000 bags of groceries ended up being distributed from about 16 sites in four counties uh, throughout the month of March.
2: Well,
1: at least there's that.
0: By the end of that month... um, It didn't seem like they were ever going to give Patty back, or indeed that she was a captive, so.
1: They started to assume that she had been murdered?
0: Well, you see, Patty's captors had been starting to get to her. After some weeks, she says, and this is a quote from Patty, DeFreeze told me that the War Council had decided, or was thinking about, killing me, or me staying with them, and I better start thinking about that as a possibility. She's, Man, what a choice. She says after that, quote, I accommodated my thoughts to coincide with theirs. Hmm. As a survival mechanism, one assumes. Mm-hmm. Patty gave her decision. I would not like to be killed. <laughs> yes, I would like to be in the group, please. Her blindfold was removed and she saw her captors for the first time more than a month after being taken. At this point, they immediately started Patty on daily lessons or classes, they called them. They don't sound super organized um, on her duties in the gang and especially uh, weapons training and weapons handling and and, uh, marksmanship.
1: So had they done anything else besides the murder of the superintendent and kidnapping Patty? Nope. Okay. So this is probably just as much for them as it was for her.
0: Yeah, I bet they still needed some, although these, I think some of these guys are more hardened criminals than a 19-year-old heiress, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> now, it was around this time that Angela Atwood, who was one of Patty's closer uh, friends, quote unquote, in the group, in the time she was there, told Patty that she needed to know what sexual freedom was like in this unit. Mm. And Patty was subsequently raped by... William Wolfe, aka Cujo, and later also by Donald DeFries. <sighs> she took on the nom de guerre Tanya after uh, Che Guevara associate, Tanya the Gorilla. Mm-hmm. That's not a gorilla, that's a gorilla. Guerrilla, yeah. <laughs> um, and she announced this to the world her new found allegiance with the Symbionese Liberation Army and her new name of Tanya. In a tape that was released April 3rd, 1974, this was two months after the smiling, you know, semi-party girl heiress had been snatched from her apartment.
1: Yeah, but I mean, even just one month of being imprisoned in a dark room, not being able to really sleep, only having propaganda to read Um, I'm sure she wasn't doing great mentally and and you're not totally
0: alone you're alone most of the time but then you come out for meals and you're just surrounded by people who are talking their crazy political talk all the time
1: or telling you they're going to kill you
0: or telling you they're going to kill you
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: now if there was any doubt about the veracity of that tape about Patty's new role it was squashed for the public on April 15th 1974 at the hibernia bank on noriega street in san diego the sla robbed the bank that day and patty was caught on surveillance cam- camera wielding an m1 carbine point gun point, yes that's a, <laughs> a it's a short assault rifle
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: and yelling at bank customers
1: i'm tanya up 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 against the wall motherfuckers oh some real amanda plumber and pulp fiction energy I love how she starts with "I'm Tanya." <laughs> She's like, "I gotta announce it." <laughs> Entrances with pizzazz. So, yeah. Why did they choose that bank to rob, in particular? Um, I don't know. Why did was people... it just nearby or?
0: Yeah, they they didn't have an ideological um, issue with this bank in particular. <laughs> uh, they had an ideological issue with banks and also a need for money. So mm-hmm. here they were. Uh, two men did enter the bank just as customers during the robbery, and both were shot. Uh, although nobody died, and it doesn't seem like it was Tanya who shot them.
2: Mm-hmm. I
0: mean,
1: I mean Patty, <laughs> Patty Tanya,
0: and the SLA escaped the bank with over ten thousand dollars in cash, which is a pretty good chunk of change in nineteen seventy-four.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, in Patty's book, which she wrote years later, uh, called Every Secret Thing. Uh, obviously she denies willing participation in this robbery.
1: Is she saying she was brainwashed or that she was basically forced to do it like at gunpoint or else she would be killed or something like that?
0: Well, we'll get into it in more detail when we get to the trial, hmm. but her lawyer did produce police photos at the trial that appear to show the other members pointing their guns at Patty. Hmm.
1: During the robbery.
0: During the robbery. Um, And some witnesses say they saw Patty lagging behind the others as they made their way to the getaway vehicle. Could she have been looking for an opportunity to escape? Probably not, but maybe it shows a lack of enthusiasm on her part. Mm -hmm. The SLA now found that it had few allies left in San Francisco, in the kind of student academic radical underground community.
1: Yeah, they're like, this is too heavy for me man
0: well they were because of the foster murder not because of the bank
2: robbery
0: mm-hmm. why'd you do that dude <laughs> and so defreeze says guys we don't have to worry about this it's fine i know a bunch of people in la let's just go back to my old neighborhood and so the symbionese liberation army this cool hippie gang of uh, bank robbing communists <laughs> packed it all up and uh, headed down to la where Sink was sure he would have uh, uh, friends in hidey holes that they could use.
1: How'd that go for them? He didn't have as many
0: friends down there as he claimed he did.
2: Mm.
0: And the group ended up having to commandeer space and supplies, i.e., find people living in squats, (sighs) beat the crap out of them, send them packing, and say, we live here now.
1: Oh, so he didn't even have one friend. (laughs) Uh, Not that I can find. Interesting.
0: Uh, They stole weapons and supplies from the locals, and they generally went about making zero friends in the area. Hmm. Meanwhile, in prison, Russell Little would be heard to say that the SLA had lost sight of its goals. This was now a confrontation with the police and not a dialogue with the public.
1: Yeah, it doesn't seem like they're doing a lot of dialoguing.
0: It certainly doesn't. Um, Things would all change for the gang and for Patty just a little bit later that year. I know she hasn't been Tanya for long, but things are going to move even faster uh, when we come back from break. do not go any further. Turn around. Go home. This episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie is brought to you by Hunt a Killer. Do you have what it takes to go into the mind of a serial killer? The body? The soul? Or perhaps to solve a horrific case? When you join Hunt a Killer... You receive a box of cryptic clues mailed to you each month to test your detective skills and challenge even the most brilliant minds in a game designed to give you a journey into the mind of a killer so you can escape, and I hope you escape, with the answers that you need input our code scary squad 20 for 20% off that's scary squad 20 s c a r y s q u a d 20 for 20% off when you sign up for your first subscription box at huntakiller.com and find out a few of the guts to hunt a killer that's again scary squad 20 for 20% off hunt a killer join the hunt today Welcome back. When last we left, it was spring 1974 and the Symbionese Liberation Army had just left San Francisco area where things were starting to heat up after a bank robbery and the murder of a superintendent and the kidnapping of a local heiress. And they had headed down to L.A. where they thought things might calm down.
1: And they brought the heiress with them.
0: And they brought that heiress with them. Patty had taken on the name Tanya at this point after Tanya the gorilla. But As I teased before the break, things were only going to heat up more for the SLA after this, and it all started for the stupidest of reasons. Usually does. May 16th, 1974, William and Emily Harris, two of the SLA members,
2: Mm
0: -hmm. stopped in at Mel's Sporting Goods in Inglewood, Uh, Patty waiting in a van across the street for them. They had some of their uh, freshly stolen bank money, and they were walking around looking to do a little shopping. Uh, But William Harris wasn't some capitalist here to spend money, and so he stuck a few loose items in his pants and uh, tried to shoplift, as you do when you're a (laughs) shithead kid.
1: So why even bother robbing a bank if you're just going to steal stuff?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. The manager observed Harris shoplifting, (laughs) so he couldn't have been too sneaky about it. Certainly. These are supposed to be professional criminals at this point. And there was a scuffle outside of the store during which Harris found himself completely restrained by the manager. And as they struggled, the gun fell out of Harris's waistband and clattered across the pavement. Oh. At this point, Patricia Hurst, the newspaper heiress, jumps out of the van she's in whips a carbine rifle just like the one she was using in the bank robbery out and empties the entire magazine into the overhead sign above the store's doors
1: honey this is your chance to run
0: nope the everyone in the store uh dropped to the ground except for the harrises the owner or the manager of the store dove for cover and that let the harrises uh make a run for it
1: what happened with patty
0: uh, the manager actually went for the gun, lying on the ground at one point, but Patty... They both
1: reached for the gun.
0: Patty started shooting her gun closer to him, and he backed off.
1: Uh, Patty, no.
0: And so the three, Patty and the Harrises, abandon the van at this point, and abduct a couple of, uh, steal a couple of cars, well, hijack a couple, a couple of cars. They abducted the drivers, of course, as you do, for safety. Mm. Uh, The driver of Patty's car uh, found her so charming and personable that he was reluctant later to report the incident. (laughs) Wow. He testified at her trial. She uh, she was casually discussing the effectiveness of cyanide-tipped bullets, as if that was a conversation piece. Um, But she was also repeatedly asking if he was okay.
1: Interesting. I've never been kidnapped in a better way. She
0: was very kind, and I learned a lot about cyanide. (laughs) Now, as I said, the van was abandoned at that sporting goods store. What do you think? Good idea? Nope. Not when there's unpaid parking tickets in the glove box that have the address of your hideout.
2: Wah, wah.
0: And so by the time Patty and the others returned to the hideout, cops had the place surrounded.
1: Fabulous.
0: And they bolted. Uh, Patty and the Harrises, not the cops. <laughs> Meanwhile, SLA members obviously also noticed the police surrounding the house.
1: <laughs> yeah, they don't tend to be subtle about these things.
0: So they escaped and they took over a nearby home owned, er, s- occupied by a Christine Johnson and Minnie Lewison. Now, this quote is from a 17-year-old neighbor who had passed out on Christine and Minnie's couch <laughs> when the gang members showed up. When the SLA members show up. I keep calling them a gang. They're not like a criminal gang. They're more of a domestic terrorist group. Sure. Anyway, the 17-year-old neighbor says, I went down to Minnie's every Thursday evening to play some cards and drink a little. I fell asleep early, and when I woke up around 2 a.m., I saw four white women and three dudes, two blacks and one white. I saw guns spread out all over the floor, and I asked them why they had guns, more than I'd ever seen in my life. They didn't answer, and instead, the black dude asked me my name and then introduced me to everyone. Uh, she was asked by the police if Patty Hearst was there. Man, how can I tell? All white women look the same to me. <laughs> so they had found kind of a secondary secondary hiding spot.
1: Did the police uh, capture anyone?
0: No, they all moved <laughs> undetected to this other location. Wow! But an anonymous caller the following day, told the police that, quote, heavily armed people are occupying my daughter's home.
1: Well, not that anonymous.
0: And more than 400 LAPD officers surrounded the whole neighborhood this time. Okay, so let's do this thing. A bullhorn rang out with the message, Occupants of 1466 East 54th Street, this is the Los Angeles Police Department speaking. Come out with your hands up.
1: Great sound work.
0: After a pause, only an old man and a young boy came out of the house. The old man told the police there was no one else in there. They were all gone. Mm Mm-hmm. And the young boy went,
1: yes, they is! They's in there and they got guns! Yep. Shut up, Junior! (laughs) sean connery
0: and with that it was on tear gas was fired into the house and instantly answered by heavy automatic bursts of fire from inside of the home
1: it's turning into waco
0: you don't even know yet sister oh boy So the shootout began, the police firing into the home with semi-automatic rifles, the SLA firing back out with fully automatic modified carbines, and apparently throwing homemade grenades made of 35mm film canisters.
1: Wow, sounds like something from Fallout 4.
0: This went on for hours, with the police firing dozens of cans of tear gas into the house. And this is where it's going to get very familiar to Waco. Because if you shoot enough tear gas canisters into a house, it catches on fire. Oh, boy. Now, as for the gang members, as for the members of the SLA, Nancy Ling Perry, the one who had failed to kill the superintendent deputy earlier that year, and Camilla Hall exited through the back. Now, investigators working for their parents would later claim that these girls had tried to surrender on their way out of the house. The police tell a different story. The police say Hall was shot in the head by police while aiming a weapon while Perry came out of the house behind her uh, providing covering fire. Oh, no. After Hall was shot, Perry opened up on the officers and she was shot twice as well and killed. Mm. The rest of the gang died inside from gunshots, burns, and smoke inhalation as the entire house burned to the ground.
1: Does that include Donald DeFreeze and Ms. Moon and all them?
0: Ms. Moon was dead uh, of the of smoke inhalation. The coroner's report says DeFreeze had shot himself in the side of the head.
1: Where's Patty? Tanya Patty.
0: Patty and the Harris couple were watching this whole siege live on TV from a hotel room in Anaheim.
1: Did they never go back to this group?
0: Well, there's no one to go back to now. Everyone's dead.
1: No, I mean after they moved to the new house.
0: Well, this is only like a few hours after they left.
1: So they they didn't meet up with the group, is my point. I didn't realize it was all the same day.
0: Oh, yeah. When they came back to the hideout, the police had already surrounded it. So they went to Anaheim. Gotcha. In the aftermath, 19 firearms, rifles, pistols, and shotguns were recovered from the house. Thousands of rounds had been fired into and out of the house over the course of two hours. Uh, the reported total was over 9,000 bullets.
1: Jesus.
0: Which makes this one of the largest shootouts in police history still. The most amazing thing, maybe, is that every SLA bullet missed. Wow. No cops, firefighters, or civilians were injured. They're worse than stormtroopers. And all six members of the SLA present were dead. DeFreeze, Atwood, Hall, Perry, Willie Wolfe, and Ms. Moon. Mm. At first, it was feared that Patricia Hurst would be found among the dead, but when she wasn't, a warrant was issued for her arrest shortly after for kidnapping and other crimes. Now, Patty was a fugitive.
1: (sighs) How the turntables have turned...
0: So what do you do now? You're three members of a militia army that that doesn't exist anymore.
1: I say you wrap it up for the day.
0: Well, there were fallen comrades to mourn. And so Harris went to a memorial rally for Angela Atwood that was being held by, you know, in California in the 70s. There was no shortage of radical leftists, right? Mm Mm-hmm. so people were upset and sad about this, and, and there was a, a, a rally, a memorial rally for her. And there, Emily Harris met some radical friends of Angela's, who she recognized, and uh, they managed to hook these guys up with help so they could resupply and maybe get some new members back. Ah, uh, give it up. So Patty and the Harrises go to San Francisco again <sighs> and take refuge there amongst activist students. Who, with Donald Defries out of the picture, are a little more willing to interact with them again, and they recruited a few, you know, probably less hardened uh, members. At this point, the SLA, the new SLA, if you will, consisted of Patty Hearst, the Harrises, Emily and William, Wendy Yoshimura, uh, now siblings Steve Salaya and Kathy Salaya and Kathy's boyfriend, James Kilgore, and Michael Borton. That's the eight members of this group at this point. Mm -hmm. And in April 1975, remember, Patty was taken in February 1974. In 1975, the members of the SLA robbed Crocker National Bank in Carmichael, California. Now, unfortunately, this time, a Myrna Lee Opsal, a 42-year-old customer of the bank and a mother of four, was killed by Emily Harris's shotgun. Oh, God. Uh, Harris said uh, the killing was an accident.
1: Doesn't bring back those kids' mom.
0: Sure doesn't. Five members of the SLA were convicted of these crimes after pleading guilty in 2002.
1: That recently?
0: Yeah. Uh, it actually took two assistant DAs to go to bat for the case because the uh attorney the attorney's office didn't want to go after it because the evidence was all circumstantial and stuff mm. um and it all happened because like one of the one of these people ended up having a different charge that that now they had something to bargain with and meanwhile the others had all well I don't want to spoil anything yeah. <laughs> Patty also apparently helped make some improvised explosive devices that were used in two attempts to kill police during August 1975. Um, neither of those devices killed their intended targets, and one of them failed to detonate at all, because 20-year-old California heiresses are not known for their uh, you know, bomb-making skills. No? After a long and highly publicized search all through the summer... On September 18th, 1975, Patty Hearst was arrested with Wendy Yoshimura in a San Francisco apartment.
2: All
1: right.
0: The police had snaked their tendrils through the student community, gotten all the information they needed and gathered everything, gotten their eggs into one basket before they pounced because the Harrises and Steven Celaya were also arrested that same day at separate safe houses.
2: Wow.
1: Okay. While
0: being booked into jail, you're asked for your occupation. And Patricia Hurst listed hers as Urban Gorilla. (sighs) And she told told her lawyer, uh, she's asked if her lawyer could get a message out to the public for her. And she said, tell everybody that I'm smiling, that I feel free and strong, and I send my greetings and love to all the sisters and brothers out there.
1: How long was this after she was first kidnapped at this point? 22 months. Damn. Okay.
0: Hi, guys. It's Sean in the edit. That's 19 months Patty was missing. Like I said at the beginning of the show, uh, you'll see where my brain got that 22 months from later on. And uh, hey, that's a nice tease for later. Enjoy. And let's talk about the Patty who was arrested 22 months after she'd been snatched. Patty's weight at this point was down to 87 pounds. Jesus. A psychologist connected with the police who they had to interview her, uh, named Margaret Singer, uh, described her as a low affect, low-IQ zombie.
1: Well, food deprivation and sleep deprivation are both used in cults um, to kind of help mind control people. I mean, Jim Jones used it. He would ration the food that people would be able to eat. It was usually just like rice and stuff. He would wake you up at all hours of the night and it was enough to kind of drive you crazy enough to believe what he was saying just because you weren't in your right mind. And Manson
0: did the same thing to his people. He just framed it as partying so they would do it willingly.
1: Yeah, I think also some of that was just not being able to afford food because they were living on some old man's ranch. Yeah,
0: yeah, that too. She had had some brain drain, apparently. They, I gave her an IQ test uh, when she was recovered, and uh, she tested at 112 rather than the 130 uh, Patty's IQ had supposedly been on her kidnapping. hmm Who knows? IT, IQ tests could be subjective or, or whatever. It's also worth noting that's still above average. Sure. Patty was also now a heavy smoker who was plagued by frequent nightly nightmares. And she apparently had major gaps in her memory of her pre-Tanya life.
2: Oh. Wow.
0: Now, once she started talking uh, and, and not just spouting political uh, uh, jargon and stuff, Patty claimed she had been forcibly drugged with LSD. And uh, had been coerced into participating in the bank robbery. And that's the defense she was going to go with, at least with her initial lawyer. Um, that was Terrence Hallinan, and he told Patty, not, don't talk to anyone, don't give interviews to psychologists or psychiatrists or newspaper people or anyone, mm-hmm. and we're going to go with the defense that you were forcibly drugged and that at the time of the bank robbery you were too much on drugs to know what was happening.
1: So not necessarily brainwashing, just drugging and coercion.
0: Yeah, and what he told Patty was that a successful defense on the principle of brainwashing would have been... Completely unprecedented at the time. There's no legal code for it. It doesn't say in the law that you're you're fine if it's brainwashing.
1: Yeah, I don't even know if Jonestown had happened yet. So that was probably the first. Well, I mean, there's also the Manson family, but that was like a completely <laughs> bizarre situation. But, the, you know, the, the Jonestown situation is is kind of one of the first big cult brainwashing things on the national scene that we dealt with at the time. I didn't. America.
0: (laughs) anyone who was killing people at Jonestown probably, who wasn't Jim Jones, probably was directly fearing for their life. Oh,
1: yes. I'm just talking, yeah, I'm talking about everyone who was killing themselves and that whole situation.
0: Now, Patty did start doing many interviews with psychiatrists after she changed lawyers. Mm. She started, uh, I don't know if she just started having second thoughts about this defense or if maybe her thoughts and feelings about brainwashing weren't being listened to or what. But she found uh, a young
1: hotshot by the name of F. Lee Bailey. F. Lee Bailey? Our old pal. <laughs> Well, uh, you might recognize him, audience, from being involved in the O.J. Simpson trial. That's probably one of the more recent things that he's done. Mm-hmm. And he was played by Nathan Lane on the uh, People vs. O.J. Simpson TV show.
0: Played beautifully by Nathan Lane.
1: I think he did a great job.
0: He also got a footnote mention in our Barney and Betty Hill episode because Betty appeared on his television yes. show, Lie Detector. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a lawyer who... God, when, when he was practicing, the most dangerous place in the country it was between F. Lee Bailey and a camera. <laughs> now, Bailey strongly advocated for a defense of coercion or duress. Maybe not brainwashing per se, but the idea was that uh, Patty's Patty was not making her own decisions at the time, and so Patty began giving long interviews with psychiatrists. Um, including a Robert J. Lifton, who was brought in from Yale University, and he was an expert on coercive persuasion and thought reform.
1: Seems like a good fit.
0: A perfect guy. And in her book, Every Secret Thing, Patty says that Dr. Lifton, quote, pronounced me a classic case which meant all the psychological criteria of a coerced prisoner of war. If I had reacted differently, I'll put in brackets here to his questions, you know, that would have been suspect, he said. It still took some weeks after Patty's arrest for her to fully repudiate the SLA and its ideals.
2: Yeah,
1: I mean, there were still people that were into Manson years and years later. Uh, Just look at Squeaky Fromm trying to kill Gerald Ford in the 70s. That's
0: right. She went to prison for that.
1: Yep. That'll happen.
0: The trial finally commenced on January 15th, 1976. And it was presided over by Judge Oliver Jesse Carter. And I think, I think it might be fair to say that it's possible Judge Carter had his mind made up on this case before the trial began. Hmm. Uh, Why do I say that? Well, there were, there was a stylistic handwriting analysis expert or stylistic, um, Composition analysis expert that the defense wanted to bring who was willing to testify that the Tanya statements uh, didn't appear to be written entirely by Hearst herself that someone clearly helped her with the verbiage mm-hmm. the judge it dictated said it to her the judge the judge said that doesn't work okay can't have that in this courtroom um, another psychiatrist named Louis Jolien West had done an interview with Patricia um, in which they talked about a lot about um, issues of brainwashing and, and, and stuff. Um, that was not allowed to be played in court. Why? I don't know, but he uh, didn't care for it. And the judge, uh, West, that is, didn't care for it. And uh, West accused the judge, in fact, of, quote, resting his eyes uh, during any testimony that was favorable to the
1: defense. Boy, okay. Not good, judge. <laughs> Not great. And you're cruising for a mistrial. Although, I mean,
0: it's not like he didn't want any evidence. He did allow statements made long after the Hibernia robbery uh, that the prosecution was using as evidence of her state of mind during the robbery.
1: So he allowed prosecution evidence.
0: Including a recording of Patty saying, The idea of brainwashing is ridiculous. Ah. He also allowed a recording of a jail visit with a friend, where Hearst used profanity and expressed radical feminist views.
1: <gasps> How
0: dare! And um, finally, on the subject of of since since Bailey was going for a defense of uh, you know she was acting under duress, the judge made a point to specifically instruct the jurors that Patty had to be acting out of quote immediate fear for her life, or else they could not. Uh, pronounce her innocent.
1: Yeah, he seems to have his own opinion and is trying to inform everyone trying to judge this case on that.
0: Now, Patty herself took the stand in this case. She testified that the SLA members demanded she appear enthusiastic during the robbery and said if she made any mistakes, she would pay for them with her life. As I said, Bailey provided police photos uh, showing that there were SLA members pointing guns at Patty during the robbery. Uh, when asked why, she, when asked to explain her actions at the sporting goods store, you know, <laughs> firing those like 30 rounds into the side of that building, mm-hmm. um, Patty said that was one of the situations that had been specifically covered in these training courses they were giving her every day. And that's exactly what she'd been told to do over and over again. So she didn't even think about it. And if they had gotten away and she hadn't done anything, she said, they definitely would have killed her.
2: Hmm.
1: Okay.
0: Meanwhile, the prosecution's star witnesses were expert witnesses, uh, psychologists and psychiatrists who made all kinds of blanket statements and judgments about uh, Patty's personality. Um,
1: They hadn't interviewed her or anything? They had,
0: but the star witness was Joel Fort. He might've been the most important witness in this trial. Uh, He described Hearst as immoral. And as a rebel in search of a cause,
1: sounds a little judgy for a psychologist.
0: You think that sounds judgy? Uh, he went. He, he talked. He told the jury all about how Patty had lied to nuns at her school about her mom having cancer just to get out of a test.
1: Yeah, who doesn't? <laughs> he, I'm kidding. I've never done that, mom. Sorry.
0: He told them that she had experimented in her youth with drugs like LSD.
1: <laughs>
0: and you think the other stuff sounded judgmental. Um he insisted, or he speculated, that Hurst had voluntarily had sex with Wolfe and DeFries. And once again the judge allowed testimony about Hurst's earliest sexual experiences as evidence that she was promiscuous.
2: Ugh Ugh
1: Horrible.
0: Now the thing that probably looked the worst along that line for the jury was when Joel Fort pointed out that in Patty's purse, police had found a little, uh, they call it an Olmec monkey. It's a little like Aztec looking charm. Mm-hmm. Uh, she still had it with her on her arrest and it had been given to her by Willie Wolf, a.k.a. Cujo. Mm-hmm. The question being, if this was this horrible, you know, rapist who ruined your life, why did you keep the gift he gave you? I see. Even after his death. Uh, from the stand, Patty could only lamely respond that, I like art. I studied art history. Huh. Patty had been loaded up on jailhouse drugs uh, for her court appearance, and she appeared lethargic on the stand and refused to answer many questions even from her own lawyer.
1: What kind of drugs?
0: Um, just I, don't, I actually don't know. I just saw newspaper reports <laughs> suggesting that she, she, she appeared to be on. But I don't know. They might give you some anti-anxiety um, or anti-psychotics if you're um, freaking out after your arrest or before your trial.
2: Hmm. Um,
0: she appeared medicated, though, to people in the courtroom. She pled the fifth on many questions that Bailey asked her, which doesn't help your case. And no. Bailey was criticized after the trial for putting her on the stand at all. Um, One of the male jurors was quoted as saying, we didn't know if we was looking at a live girl or a robot. Okay. This is another damaging. There's lots of recordings of Patty that were damaging recordings. She had made as Tanya. You could play Say she's just playing into the role or uh, whatever. But one recording released to the public after the shootout at the gang hideout, when most of the SLA had died, included Patty saying, Cujo was the gentlest, most beautiful man I've ever known. We loved each other so much, and his love for people was so deep that he was willing to give his life for them. Neither Cujo nor I had ever loved an individual the way we loved each other. Probably this was because our relationship wasn't based on bourgeois values.
1: <laughs> oh, dear. Well, that's not great to have on recording.
0: No. No. It's not, and that was, I I believe, recorded to be released to the public as like a statement from Tanya Mm
1: -hmm. of
0: the SLA, you know. But it muddies the waters, especially for that jury. Yeah. And the prosecution had convinced them that it was important to Patty's case that she had been raped by these two guys. Deliberation took 12 hours and apparently put many of the jurors into tears
1: why frustration or
0: they were talking a lot about you know i think there's a central this is why uh, when i said this has a kind of a personal horror to it i think it's a horrifying idea it's like uh, the way that cult stuff fascinates us right it's this horrifying idea that uh, a normal ish person could be put in a situation and then have their mind snap and become a different person Mm -hmm. that's what this appears as from the outside right this, you know, 19-year-old <laughs> girl gets arrested and then she'll just, I'm telling you, motherfucker, two months later. It's scary. Yeah. And so I think the jury, you know, sees shades of that in, in this case and finds that scary. They're also heavily discussing the kidnapping and rape of a 19-year-old girl. Yeah. So that'll bring you to tears.
1: Not a fun day to have.
0: No. It was March 20th, 1976, when Patty was pronounced guilty of armed robbery and the use of a firearm in a felony. She was sentenced to seven years in prison. Now, shortly after Patty went to jail, though, went to prison, though, she suffered a collapsed lung, which left her unable to testify against the Harrises for the sporting goods incident.
1: How did she get a collapsed lung? Like pneumonia or something?
0: Yeah, I don't think it was. She wasn't, like, shivved or anything. <laughs> Jeez. Um, speaking of that, that was when Patty caught those kidnapping charges. Uh, she just ended up with probation on that one because uh, she pleaded no contest and the judge said because there was, co- quote, coercion amounting to torture in the case, um, she got probation for the kidnapping. Hmm. Meanwhile, the Harrises, without Patty there to testify in court against them, only caught the kidnapping charge, and they served eight years each in prison without the firearms and, uh, you know, theft charges. hmm So there were a lot of people who felt that Patty shouldn't have gotten jail time. Obviously, with given 12 hours of deliberation, there were some people in the jury who felt that she shouldn't have gotten jail time. Mm-hmm. And uh, some people in local government were getting interested. In fact, Representative Leo Ryan started to collect signatures on a petition for Patty's release.
1: Speaking of Jonestown.
0: Yeah, that's Oh, yeah, that's right. This is 1976. And two weeks after he started that petition, he visited Jonestown in Guyana as part of a government investigation into the People's Temple.
1: How'd that go for Leo?
0: We'll tell that story on another podcast, but Leo died in Guyana. Yeah. Leave a pause there. Pour one out for the people's temple. Sure. The the victims, the people's yes. temple, <laughs> not the people's temple.
1: <laughs> great place, great place.
0: However, even without Leo Ryan's uh, signature, what a good guy though. He seems to he seems like he's just on all the right sides of things.
1: Yeah he he does seem like he was a good guy.
0: Liked helping people. Yeah. Patty's sentence was commuted to time served by President Jimmy Carter in 1979. She had spent 22 months in prison at this point.
1: About the same time as she spent on the run. On the run in captivity and then brainwashed and all that fun stuff.
0: And on January 20th, 2001, President Bill Clinton pardoned Patty Hearst fully of all charges on his last day in office.
1: That I did know, yeah. So, what's Patty up to now?
0: Well, Patty's 67 years old. Uh, two months after she was released from prison, she married Bernard Lee Shaw, who... Not Stephen Weed. Not Stephen Weed. Nope, that she didn't rekindle that romance. Hmm. Uh, Bernard Lee Shaw, she had met during the investigation, he was a cop from her security detail while she was on bail after the trial.
2: That's
1: kind of romantic.
0: It is. They had two children together, and they stayed married, I believe, until he passed in 2013.
1: Oh, well, that's kind of nice.
0: Patty threw herself into uh, childhood AIDS foundations and other charity work. That's, I think, what you do when you're an heiress. Sure. She didn't have to get a job, so she um she's, she's spent most of her life doing charity stuff. She also, and you'll find this interesting, Carrie, appears in several John Waters films. She's apparently friends with the director <laughs> and makes appearances in Serial Mom, Pecker, <laughs> a-, a Dirty Shame, Cecil B. Demented, and... One of Carrie's personal favorites, Crybaby.
2: Mm
1: hmm. She also showed up on Veronica Mars, where Veronica goes to Hearst College. Mm-hmm. And I think she's, I haven't seen it in a while, she's in the episode where Veronica is um, interviewed for college. Yes. Yeah.
0: And she plays like an old heiress, doesn't she?
1: I think she plays herself. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she's also, I mean, some of the, some of the most that I've known of her, aside from the, you know, general, she was kidnapped and then she was brainwashed, is uh, from Shit's Creek when Moira does the the single woman Patty Hearst yes. musical, <laughs>
0: <laughs> one woman show. Yeah. Um, you'll be glad to know that she's also something of a fixture at uh, major national dog shows. mm Hmm. And that her Shih Tzu Rocket won the toy group at the Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show in 2015. Good for Rocket. And get this, her French Bulldog, this is in 2017, her French Bulldog Tuggy won (laughs) Best in Breed, and her other French Bulldog Ruby won Best of Opposite Sex. Awesome. It's very rare for one owner's French Bulldogs to sweep those categories that way, because there's a lot of French Bulldogs in that competition
1: great bulldogs
0: these are all things i've learned researching (laughs) patty Hearst.
1: (laughs) well is that the story sean that's pretty much
0: the story i have one last kind of conspiratorial note and i stuck this at the end because it's it's dicey to even kind of piece together into uh, a a narrative but if any read if any listeners have more information they can point me to on this I, i would love it um When Willie Wolf, a.k.a. Cujo's dad, found out he was involved with the SLA, because remember, these are all just shithead, like, Mm -hmm. 20-somethings, he hired a private detective named Lake Headley to find out more.
1: Is he also a CNN anchor?
0: (laughs) I'm Lake Headley. Tonight's headlines. And on May 4th, 1974, this is 13 days before the shootout that took Willie Wolf's life, along with the other five main members of the gang, Headley, the detective, swore the following, quote, "...that Patricia Campbell Hurst and her parents disagreed bitterly over Patricia's political and personal relations, that a love affair between a black man and Patricia Hurst did take place prior to her relationship with her fiancé, Stephen Weed, that Mrs. Randolph, that Miss, that Mrs. Randolph A. Hurst subjected her daughter to extreme pressure to change her personal and political relationships." Mhm. You see, based on, this is kind of a long walk, but at some point, about a year before Patty was kidnapped, a girl under a different name, but her picture in the prison records looks a lot like Patty, came for a conjugal visit with a prisoner. A black man. A black male prisoner who I don't think was Donald Defries. Mm-hmm. But this whole, then you get into like internet quote unquote sleuthing on this and it spins into like, but what if that girl was Patty under got an assumed name,
1: and, and she
0: actually was hooking up with Donald DeFreeze and the records got messed up and actually, but then they end up spinning it all the way out to, and that's why the SLA was actually a CIA oh. inside job to cast um, a bad light on liberal causes.
1: It's a stretch.
0: It's a stretch. I will say the SLA is generally um, pointed to as like the first that we know of um, ra- violent radical left wing group in the U.S. Mm-hmm. You know, so maybe in, in an era when um, the, the reason you get the reason people get behind a theory like that, that is in an era when there was a lot of public sympathy for some liberal causes uh, and and a lot of unrest because of it. You know, the CIA did have it in its interest to, to make those things less popular. I just don't It's think... kind
1: of like the John Lennon thing of, we know that they were watching him, but did they kill him? Right. You know, it's the yeah. extra step. It's like, no, why would they have done that? <laughs> uh,
0: and this does seem like a long walk. A long walk. And if these kids were put together by the CIA, I, CIA, I think they would have been probably better, a little better organized or <laughs> equipped. But, so,
1: do you think she really was brainwashed?
0: Oh yeah. So that's the actual real question here. I don't know, but it fascinates me. I think some people are more suscept some people are more susceptible to having their personalities muted and replaced.
1: And she was young at the time.
0: And we've all had friends who get a new boyfriend or sometimes a new girl, you know, a guy gets a new uh, girlfriend and their personality vanishes into the other person. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. We've seen that. Sure.
1: We're not being shady right now. I'm not thinking of no, anyone. No, I'm not thinking of anyone in particular. But... <laughs> Everyone's seen that sort of thing.
0: And if that exists, um, you know, how hard is it to believe that a 19-year-old girl... Um, Tortured who and... Who hasn't eaten in a month and um, probably does have a rebellious streak anyway. She's a 19-year-old daughter of, like, very rich conservative parents. Um I don't find it that hard to to believe that after three weeks she's fully believing all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, does that mean she's not responsible for her actions? I don't know. It's tough.
1: Yeah, that's always the big question for me in cult stuff because I can't, I can't imagine myself doing these sorts of things. You know, well, Robin, without it, a gun to my head,
0: I will never. Ever any anyone listening authorities or otherwise I will never rob a bank movies make it look fun though right
1: <laughs> sure but I mean I can't imagine myself doing some of the things that cults have done you know killing people um, committing crimes killing themselves I can't imagine doing that even under brainwashing but I've never been brainwashed to that degree I think we've all experienced things where we were a little brainwashed whether it's Being around friends or other people that, um, you know, kind of foisted their opinions on politics or sports or all different kinds of things on you. And then you realize afterward, when you're a little older, a little more mature that, oh, I don't even believe this, you know. The, the type of person that might have been told their whole life that uh, Nickelback sucks, for example, and then they realize they really do like them. Not me, but, you know, it's that kind of thing, just to an ex- <laughs> insane degree.
0: Is that a real person? Because I don't want to meet that person.
1: <laughs> well, that's the exact thing, though.
0: If you're like, if you hear Nickelback and you go like, "This is what I've been waiting for all my life," actually, well, it's kind I, I just it, don't think you're going to bring much interesting to the table.
1: Well, imagine you as a kid, Sean. I know you like the color pink. Yeah. But as a as a kid, you're you're told that it's a girl's color. It's gay if you like pink, and that probably made you think, at least as a kid, I don't like the color pink.
0: It took me a while to come back around to it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's kind of that, but multiplied by a thousand you know i just can't i can't imagine it so i have no no clue
0: it's come around now where i'm worried i'm more worried that pink stuff will get me mistaken as like a frat bro
1: (laughs) no you don't have any pink polo shirts or salmon colored shorts i think you're good
0: not yet (gasps)
1: Want to treat your pup to something special? When you visit www.barkbox.com slash ain'titscary, you can receive a free month added to your plan when you sign up for a six or 12 month subscription. That's an extra month of two fun toys, two full-size bags of treats, and a tasty chew at no additional cost. Recent box themes have included Home Alone, Liquor Treat, and a Night at the Squeak Easy. Poe loves trying out new toys and treats, and he was psyched to get a BarkBox. Your pup will be, too. So sign up at www.barkbox.com slash scary for a free month added to any 6- or 12-month subscription. That's BarkBox.com slash A-I-N-T-I-T-S-C-A-R-Y. Give your furry friends something to bark about. (laughs) Excitingly, we're following up on one of our earlier episodes with this bit of news. Now this is for episode nine, Tomum Should Mystery of the Summerton Man. We stand a Summerton Man. <laughs> for those who may not remember, the Summerton Man is a John Doe whose body was found on an Australian beach slumped against a seawall on December first, nineteen forty-eight. And he was dead. His, <laughs> he sure was. He, he wasn't just drunk, he was dead. <laughs> His identity has remained a mystery. Until now, perhaps. Australian Attorney General Vicky Chapman has approved an exhumation order requested by South Australia Police so they could possibly discover the identity of the Summerton Somer- man once and for all. Chapman stated, quote, it means that finally, I'm not even going to try an Australian accent at this point. It means that finally this case, which has been studied, investigated, and followed for more than 70 years, will be re-examined and hopefully many questions around his enigmatic life will be answered. Though there isn't a set date for exhumation, it will likely be very soon. Detective Superintendent Des Bray told ABC Australia that improvements in technology would give forensic experts the best chance yet to, quote, possibly identify the man through his DNA and finally establish his cause of death. Ideally, we'd like to identify a source of good quality DNA and then generate a DNA profile from it. That profile we could compare to potential descendants, she said. South Australia Forensic Science They're
0: talking about Robin. Yeah, There's a specific descendant they're talking about.
1: Mm -hmm. South Australia Forensic Science Director Lindsay Lindsay Wilson Wild says that, quote, it's going to be extremely challenging in a technical sense. The remains have been buried for over 70 years. And in addition, the body was involved with which adds further complications. But hopefully they'll be able to identify a good source of quality DNA and then generate a DNA profile from it. So, if they do end up finding the Summerton man's identity, we'll be sure to update you.
0: And if you don't really care about who the Summerton man is, go listen to that episode cuz you'll you might find yourself <laughs> caring by the end. It is a um, Oh,
1: I was I was yelling stuff by the end of that oh, one. A
0: tragic story of love and espionage.
1: Or maybe not. <laughs> who knows?
0: Or maybe yeah, maybe not even murder or suicide. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Stay tuned, everyone. That's it for this episode of ain't it scary with Sean and Carrie like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ain't it scary and check out our website at ain't You can support the show by supporting our sponsors and becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash it scary. And please subscribe to the show and throw us a five-star review on Apple podcasts. We'll be forever grateful.
0: We love all of you, especially our top-tier patrons, Nate Curtis, Sean O'Donnell, Jared Chamberlain, Maria Ferrante, and Robin McCabe. Show created by Sean and Carrie McCabe, music by Kyle Ryan. You can find Kyle at his YouTube channel, Music is a Verb.
1: This has been a production of Longboy Media. One of Scotland's most notorious unsolved
0: murders. To think that someone could turn a cheese wire into a grot
1: and take someone's
0: life. The level of violence, the uncertainty and the randomness frightened people. She always thought the killer was going to come back after her. Society needs to find that killer. Who is the cheese wire killer?
2: Listen to The Fool series now, wherever you get your podcasts.